I want to tell you this evening about a man named Paul. And I want to tell you about him because in the days when he lived, he was a man that I imagine was the envy of so many other people. He had risen to heights in society that others surely wished to rise to. And he had many things that his uh, companions wished they had in their lives. Let me give you three things that he had. He had attended the most prestigious university under a most famed teacher. Now, not everyone wants that, but many would like that privilege. He was respected by the most important people in the land. He had access to the high and mighty. He could get them to agree to what he wanted to do. And so this is the third thing. He was a man who had great power and authority. He wasn't a nobody. In fact, he was given power to go up and down the country to arrest people that he wanted to arrest. That's how much power he had. Surely, respect, uh, authority, these are things that many people covet. This man, Paul, he seemed untouchable as he uh, strode through the land. Indeed, he even went outside his native land to Damascus to exercise his power. Now, that was only 130 miles away from where he lived. Remember, he was walking. He wasn't going by plane or, or high-speed train. And if you walk 20 miles a day, then you get how far 130 miles is, don't you? There was just one thing this great man had not considered. He hadn't considered how God looked at him. Actually, he assumed that God was very pleased with him. He could pat himself on the back and say, I've been a most zealous person for my God. If you read one of his letters to the church in Philippi, that's what he says. I was a zealous person. I served God to the uttermost. He was willing to walk for six, seven days to fulfill what he thought was the will of God. He says, I've kept the law. If you compare my life, he claimed, with the law of God, I'm blameless. I've got a righteousness, a right standing before God. That's how he thought God looked at him. But he didn't understand how God looked at him. He didn't understand that God looks on the heart and not on the outward man. He looked good on the outside. But in the heart, because he didn't understand himself, 
He simply couldn't understand why Jesus of Nazareth came into the world. And so he didn't believe in him. Have you ever heard of a drug called, I hope I can pronounce it, artemisinin? Have you ever heard of it? Artemisinin. I've heard of it. It's the frontline drug for malaria. Why have I heard of it? Because I've lived all my life in a malaria-infested place. Not relevant to you, is it? Because you don't have malaria here. But if a cure or a drug is found for Alzheimer's, oh, you'll be the first one to hear about it, won't you? Because that's the need we have. What am I saying? This man, Paul, didn't understand his need. Therefore, he didn't understand why Jesus Christ came. So this evening, I want... Do you have it there, 1 Timothy 1.15? From 1 Timothy 1.15 that we read earlier, I want simply to show you two things. That the problem of sin is your greatest need. And secondly that Jesus Christ is the solution to that problem of sin. Paul writes this, the saying is trustworthy and deserving and worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am Chief, what a turnaround. Here was a man who said, I'm the best man in the world. I've kept the law of God. God is pleased with me. Now he's saying, I'm the worst man. I'm the chief of sinners. How can that be? How can we understand that change, that total change of thinking? After all, he was a very religious man in terms of the established church of our day. He had risen to, to bishop and archbishop, we might say. He was a very respected man. But he was opposed to Jesus. Look what he says in verse 13. I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent. Now, like every Jew, Paul was looking for someone they called a Messiah, a Christ a saviour whom God would send to save his people. But he wasn't looking for a saviour who would die on a Roman cross because to the Jew, there's a lot of truth in this, to the Jew, anyone who hung on a Roman cross was cursed of God. They were clearly the most 
wicked people who only deserved God's eternal judgment. So for Paul to imagine that the very one that God would send should be crucified, it was absolutely unthinkable, unimaginable. That's because he had no idea of his sin. He had no idea that his sin was so great before he became a Christian that he himself deserved to be cursed of God eternally. And that's why he couldn't understand that Jesus came. It's what we read here, isn't it? Christ Jesus came into the world. That Jesus came to bear the curse that Paul deserved. He didn't think he deserved one until he became a Christian. Why did he deserve it? Well, again, I remind you of these words. He was a blasphemer. He had spoken against God's own son. He was a persecutor. He even traveled those 130 miles up to Damascus to get hold of Christians and imprison them and kill them if necessary, like Stephen was stoned to death. He was an insolent opponent. Well, he couldn't lay his hands on Jesus. He'd sure lay hands on anyone who believed on the Lord Jesus. Look what we read about this man, Paul, or Saul, as he was known before he became a Christian. Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Then later, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. You see, he had access to the, the highest in the society. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, that's Christians, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. That's his sin. Can you understand it? Well, in a sense you can. You can understand why during the Second World War there were those who tried to assassinate Hitler. You can understand that, can't you? To rid the world of such an evil man. Well, why would someone do that to Jesus? Who'd only gone around doing good, healing people, raising the dead, feeding people, showing acts of mercy and his followers likewise. Oh, the the anger in Paul, the bitterness, the rebellion. Imagine he's breathing threats and murder. Is it any wonder? He says, I'm the chief of sinners. When you look at that record. What was his problem? His problem is he didn't believe in Jesus Christ because he didn't understand his need of Jesus Christ. 
And so he didn't believe in him. He didn't submit to him. He didn't follow him. Indeed, he did the very opposite. And the question I want to ask you this evening is what do you think about Jesus? I should think all of you say, well, he was a good man. Yes, he died on the cross. He rose from the dead. He gave great teaching. But I'm still asking you, what do you really inside you think about Jesus? You may not be trying to drag him down from heaven, which is what Paul would have done if he could. But have you bowed the knee to Jesus? Have you come before him and got on your knees and said, Lord, with all that that means? Because that's who he is. One day every knee shall bow. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's who he is. The, the universal Lord. So I'm asking you, is your life one of glad and full submission to Jesus Christ? Is it your desire? I mean, you know this honestly in your own heart. Is it your desire? Lord, what do you want me to do? Lord, whatever you want, I'll do it. Wherever you want me to go, I'll go. Whether my life is long or short, it's all right, Lord. It's you I want to serve and glorify. Is that you? Is he really your Lord? What do you think about him? Let me be a bit more specific. Do you fulfill the golden rule? Do you even try to fulfill the golden rule? Do unto others as you want them to do to you. A very simple thing, isn't it? At least it's simple to say. You do it. You know, to fail to do that is sin. Christ said, do it. Didn't he? Matthew 7, verse 12. If he's Lord, follow him. Jesus also said, in response to a question, which is the greatest commandment, he said the greatest commandment is love God, with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Have you done it? Are you even trying to do it? And the second he said is likewise, love your neighbor as yourself. Wow, those are big commandments, aren't they? You see, when I ask you what do you think of Jesus, and you say, well, he's Lord, are you then doing what he says. Even Jesus asked his disciples, why do you call me Lord, but you don't do what I say? Don't start comparing yourself with other people. That's what we do, isn't it? We know how to dodge these questions. Well, I'm better than others, you may say. You compare yourself with what Jesus wants you to do. Most of us have been parents or we are parents. Um, how often we hear a child when asked to do something exclaim, but she didn't do it. 
any way of excusing themselves from doing something that they ought to do. Do you accept that excuse? Really, my friends, you know that you have fallen short. These things that I've said surely are so clear that all of us, we've fallen short, especially in our words and how much more in our thoughts that only God and ourselves know. And then when you think, what the Lord requires of me is not only to refrain from certain things, but to do other things. I may have refrained from certain things, but have I done? I may not be accused of being a murmurer and a grumbler as we looked at this morning, but am I content? Am I a person of thanksgiving? Paul says, I'm the chief of sinners. Are you better than Paul? Are you better than Paul? Let me tell you something. You have more privileges than Paul had, don't you? Was Paul brought up in Sunday school? Did Paul go to a Christian church to hear the word of God Sunday by Sunday? None of that. Did he have the whole Bible? He didn't have it. You have all those things, most of you. That makes our refusal to bow the knee to Christ all the worse. It makes it indeed the greater sin. My friends, that's the need that I had before I became a Christian. That's the greatest need of every one of you. Children, to the oldest person here. Sin against God. Second thing, I'm, I'm so glad there's a second. If we had to leave it there, we'd all be absolutely hopeless. God sent Jesus Christ to be the very saviour from sin. Verse 15 says, the saying is trustworthy. You can depend upon it. It deserves full acceptance. Nobody should have any question about this. Receive it uh, completely that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Actually, he wrote it the other way around. Sinners to save. That's a wonderful thing. He didn't come to save the righteous, then nobody would be saved. He came to save we who have already concluded that we are sinners. Now, why do we need to be saved from sin? Well, it's because sin calls down the judgment of God upon us. It's God who's said, do this, don't do this, live like this, worship me. Follow me. Rejoice in me. When we don't do that, we incur the judgment of God. Now, in our, in our law courts, when someone's found guilty, often they make an appeal. They may appeal for mercy against 
what they think is too heavy a judgment. If they can afford it, they might employ a, a lawyer to plead their case and to get the case overturned. But when there's a, a temporal judgment, then if you can do something to lift it, you'll do it, won't you? Because you don't want to suffer in this world. But my friends, we're not dealing here with some temporal judgment. Sin doesn't bring upon us just some loss of, of happiness or, or some loss of things in, in this life. Sin brings God's eternal judgment. It's the final verdict against which there is no appeal. And the amazing thing, we should never get over this. It's God himself who provides the solution. The very one who's offended, the very one who says the soul that sin shall die. He has sent Christ Jesus into the world to save us sinners. So if I were to ask you, why did Jesus come? He didn't come just to teach us the way of God. He did that. But what good would that be? He says, this is the way you walk in it. And I can't because I'm a sinner. I'm a rebel and I don't want to walk in it. So what's the point? Only shows my sin all the more. Jesus didn't just come to demonstrate that he's God by his miracles. He does that. Definitely you read his miracles. Uh, he is God. And we know that we've got a divine saviour. And Jesus didn't just come to live the perfect life, to set us an example. What good is that to me? I can't copy it. Can't even understand it. Jesus came to save us from sins. See, you ask the question, why was it that Jesus of Nazareth died this specific form of death. He wasn't beheaded, which was for Roman citizens. Um, he wasn't stoned. He was crucified. Why? Why did it have to be that? Why were all the events somehow coming together to ensure that he hung and expired on a cross. Well, because he was to be cursed of God. And I ask, why? Why should one who has done nothing wrong, none of his accusers could point the finger at him? Herod and Pilate all said he's done nothing wrong. He's one who only did good. Why then does he have to undergo crucifixion, which to a Jew was to be cursed of God? And that is the truth. Well, because that's God's wonderful way 
of saving us sinners. You see, we deserve to be cursed of God. But Jesus has been cursed in our place. The punishment that we deserved is meted out to him. Now that's an idea in the 21st century that many people find strange, even objectionable, that somebody else would bear the punishment. They would be a substitute. But this is what I want to ask you. If you know that you have sinned against God, are you able to deal with that sin yourself? What can you give to God yourself from your own resources, from your own life, that God will say, okay, I'll forgive you? Do you have anything? Even if you can deal with your past sins up to today, what about your future sins? Even if you never sin again, can you deal with those past sins? In, in court, just go there again. You hear somebody says, well, Your Honor, it's true that uh, I did what I'm accused of. It's true. I have to admit it but I'll never do it again. Will the judge say, oh, that's good, I'm glad to hear that, you can go free. That's not justice, is it? But if you're fined, if you have, you're guilty and you're fined, and the magistrate, for reasons best known to him or her, goes to the, the, uh, the bursar of the court and pays the fine in your name, Will you be set free? You will be, won't you? We do understand the concept of someone paying for another. That's exactly what the Lord Jesus has done. And I'm saying to you, if you don't want to believe that, then you have no other hope whatsoever. This is the great mercy of God that Christ Jesus came into the world to save Sinners. Let me reason with you a little bit more. Perhaps you're saying, that's all very well. I appreciate what you've said. But for me, I've been rebellious for too long. Years and years and years, I've heard and I've refused. Can there really be any hope for me? Oh, yes, my friend. There's hope. Just look here. How long was Paul in rebellion? Was it a month? A year? This is what he says, verse 16. I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost sinner, Jesus Christ might display his perfect Patience. Why, why didn't God say, Saul, enough? He was patient. He was patient. 
until the time came. And he was patient, Paul says, deliberately so that others like you could be encouraged. That though you've been so long in sin and rebellion, he'll receive you because he came to save sinners like you. But perhaps somebody else says, okay, I can appreciate that. But for me, I have sinned too much. If only you knew all that I've done, how deeply I've sunk. I've had knowledge and I've rejected it and I've lived a life totally in opposition to that knowledge. Is there any hope for me? And I say to you, absolutely. That's why this passage is written. Who says he was the chief of sinners? No, not you. Paul and Christ Jesus came to save him. And he was saved. He was gloriously saved. <laughs> and so there's hope. Whoever we are, don't, don't excuse yourself. You're not special in the sense you're different from others. We're all sinners. We've all been rebellious far too long, even if we were saved like I was when I was 18. We've all sinned far too much. Truth is, Christ is able to save anyone who comes to him, trusting in him. That's why he came. So let me say to you, because there are many of us here who say we're Christians. We've been saved from our sins. But you know, none of us were born Christians. None of us. Nobody came out of the womb a Christian. Some of us became Christians when we were young. Some like me when we were in our late teens. Others became Christians in their 20s, 30s, I suppose, 40s. And some others even much older. <coughs> but what unites us is that we all came to the point when, like Paul, we saw ourselves as sinners before God. We saw that we had no resources of our own, no goodness, nothing that we could say to God, please take this gift and save me. We knew we came to God with absolute empty hands like a beggar. We know, we came to know that there's no way we could avoid judgment of ourselves. Left to ourselves, we're absolutely hopeless. So is that how you see yourself this evening? That's what I pray God will show you. That like all of us who have become Christians, you are a sinner before God under his judgment and there's nothing that you yourself can do. And if that's true, then you better look somewhere else, haven't you? And the gospel is telling you this evening, look to Jesus. He came to save people like you. That's what we, we did by his grace. We went to Jesus. And we put our trust in him. So how do you do that? Well, you talk to him in prayer. You tell him what you've now come to see about yourself. Tell him, you know, 
Lord, there was a time when I thought it was okay. Now you show me I'm not okay. You show me how sinful, how wicked I am before you. I'm not the good person. But Lord, I am the sinner you say that I am. It's the first thing you say. You confess who you are. It's shameful, isn't it? But it's true. Then ask him to have mercy. You're not asking him, because I'm praying, bless me, or because I'm going to turn over a new leaf, bless me. You say, have mercy on me. Just as with this wicked man, Paul, what does he say? He says, I received mercy. The grace of our Lord overflowed for me. There was nothing good in Paul whatsoever. But God's mercy in Christ saved him. You tell the Lord as you talk to him in prayer, tell him you've said in your word that you came to save sinners and I'm one of them. Please save me. You know, Jesus tells a parable, let's call it a story, of a man, he's called a tax collector. Now, in Jewish culture, tax collectors were considered the most wicked people and there's no question they were pretty wicked, outwardly, let alone inwardly. This man, one day, for all we know, it was the first day he ever appeared in God's house. And maybe it's the first day he prayed. But what we do know, he said, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. That's what he said. He acknowledged his sin and he asked God for mercy. Possibly he was looking at the altar in God's house, saying, because of the sacrifice, have mercy on me. Turn away your anger from me. Forgive me. And Jesus says, that man went down to his house, saved, justified, accepted by God. That's the great news, my friends, that we have in the scriptures. That's why we're here as a church, confessing that Jesus Christ has saved us. And I urge you, in the name of the Lord, because of what we've read in the scripture, to humble yourself before God and to put your trust in the Lord Jesus, who came into the world, sinners like you, to save. Let's pray. Father, please bless your word to us, we pray. You said you would send your spirit to convince the world of sin. Please, Lord, many of us, you have convinced. Convince more, we pray, that they may then, in their helplessness, come to Jesus Christ to be saved. Hear us as we cry, Lord for your own glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.